This is Bigger Pockets Daily. Get ready for a bite-sized guide to building wealth through real estate. BiggerPockets.com offers the world's biggest real estate investing forum and thousands of blog articles like the one I'm about to share. We bring you these in audio form because you can't read when you're riding your bike or building a deck. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Managing your finances used to be a pain. It was either useless apps or overcomplicated spreadsheets. But now with Monarch Money, managing your money is easier than ever. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. You can even collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor at no extra cost to get a joint view of all your finances. Customize your dashboard, notifications, and budgets with a tap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show right here will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bigger for your extended 30-day free trial. Mystery solved. Why cap rates for some value-add deals are lower than stabilized deals by Paul Moore. Have you ever been confused about something that should be perfectly clear? Like the ongoing mystery of semi-boneless ham. Does it have a bone? Or not? I think a lot of investors are confused about why cap rates on some value-add deals are lower than cap rates for similar stabilized deals. With the help of my friend and fellow BP author Brian Burke, I'll try to solve this mystery in this podcast. Please note that this issue goes much deeper than just solving a riddle. This speaks to the whole strategy of buying value-add versus stabilized properties. It delves into the thesis for buying and optimizing properties with hidden intrinsic value. As I've discussed in many posts on BiggerPockets.com and podcasts, this thesis is critical in times like these, where the real estate market has soared to new heights and some investors are overpaying. Acting on Brian's advice can help you make a profit and build wealth in any market climate. What is a cap rate anyway? 
This confused me in my earlier years as a real estate investor. The cap rate is a measure of market sentiment. It's generally calculated as the unleveraged rate of return on an income-producing property. Here's the formula. Cap rate equals net operating income divided by value. The cap rate is generally outside the commercial syndicator's control. It's like the price per pound when buying meat. It is the price per dollar of net operating income, NOI. Some ask how to calculate the cap rate for a property they want to invest in. You can estimate this as the unleveraged return for a property like this in a location like this at this time and in this condition. You can learn more about cap rate and how to calculate it at biggerpockets.com. A lower cap rate for the same asset means a higher property price and vice versa for a higher cap rate. So when comparing different assets, one would think the cap rate for a stabilized property is lower than a value-add property. Here's an example with the reasoning. Tanglewood Apartments is fully stabilized and running like a top. Rents are at market levels, occupancy is near 100%, marketing is optimized, and management is a well-oiled machine. The net operating income is $1 million. Institutional investors want low risk and stable returns. They don't want the hassle and uncertainty of making upgrades, evicting tenants, and replacing management. A private equity fund acquires this property for $25 million. This is a 4% cap rate. $1 million divided by $25 million equals 0.04. Down the street, Pebblebrook apartments are a mess. Their vacancy is high, their rents are low, and they're having difficulty keeping staff. They have more units than Tanglewood, so their annual NOI is also $1 million. The private equity firm passed on this deal since they were seeking stability, predictable income, and a lack of hassles. An aggressive regional operator with a turnaround plan bought this deal for $20 million. This is a 5% cap rate. $1 million divided by $20 million equals 0.05. Now, the private equity firm should enjoy a predictable $1 million annual, minus mortgage payments, cash flow stream from Tanglewood with little concern. The regional operator may struggle to operate Pebblebrook, but they can add revenue with some heavy lifting. It was predictable. The stabilized asset brought a lower cap rate, higher price, than the unstabilized asset. And this provides a rule to calculate cap rates for other deals, right? Wrong. Why do unstabilized assets sometimes have lower cap rates than stabilized ones? In a previous Bigger Pockets post and podcast, I went out on a limb and discussed why cap rates don't matter as much as I once thought. I even postulated that an asset could be a good deal at a zero cap rate. You may want to consider those thoughts as we see how Brian Burke eloquently dealt with this issue right now. Recently, Dennis Kwan posted a wonderful question on this BP forum. He said, I'm reading through Brian Burke's book, The Hands-Off Investor. In this section discussing cap rates, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around why this statement is true. Cap rates on stabilized properties tend to be higher than cap rates on properties that require value add. My internet search and search through BP forums leads me to believe that stabilized properties should have lower cap rates. After explaining his question, he concludes, What am I missing here? And what concepts am I misunderstanding? First of all, this question and the replies that followed remind me of the great value of the Bigger Pockets community. Dennis, a self-described newbie, puts himself out there. 
and he receives world-class counsel from several investors, including Brian, an author and one of the most successful operators in the multifamily realm. I can't top Brian's response through paraphrasing. So here it is. The disconnect here is you are attempting to compare apples to oranges, cap rates for a value add versus class A. This is kind of like saying, which is faster, an airplane or an aircraft? An airplane is an aircraft, but an aircraft doesn't have to be an airplane. It could be a helicopter, glider, or balloon too. Same goes here. A class A could be a value add or not. And a value add could be a class A or not. Instead, let's compare like for like. Deal number one. A Class A that is fully stabilized and rents are roughly equivalent to the comps, meaning there's no value-add potential here, versus deal number two. A Class A that isn't as well amenitized as its peers. The management is disorganized and hasn't kept up with rent increases, the interiors, while nice and certainly up to Class A standards, lack some basics like stainless steel appliances, it has white, and a nice tile backsplash in the kitchen. Clearly, they are both class A, and clearly deal number one is not a value add. Deal number two is a value add by changing out the appliances, adding a tile backsplash, improving the gym, adding a dog park, upgrading the signage, and putting professional management in place that has its eye on the ball. The new ownership can achieve significantly higher rents than the property is currently getting. No higher than deal number one, but equal to it. Now let's examine the purchase. Deal number one has NOI of $1 million and is selling at a 4% cap rate, so a price of $25 million. Deal number two has NOI of $750,000 and is selling at a 3.5% cap rate, so we'll call that $21.5 million. Yes. See here that the value-add deal is a lower cap rate? Now let's work beyond the purchase to see why. Deal number one's year two NOI is still a million bucks because rents were at top of market and there was really nowhere else to go. Deal number two's year two NOI is $1 million because the new owner made the improvements and changes listed before. We're talking theory here. It probably takes two to three years to do this, but doesn't change the logic behind the concept. Let's say it costs them a million bucks to do all of that. Now let's examine where both owners are. Deal number one, has $1 million of income for $25 million, giving a yield on cost of 4%. For simplicity's sake, I'm not adding in closing and financing costs because they'll be roughly the same for both and overcomplicates an already complicated discussion. Deal number two has $1 million of income for $22.5 million, $21.5 million purchase plus a $1 million in improvements for a yield on cost of 4.44%. So who came out on top? Yes, deal number two. Despite paying a lower cap rate for a value-add property, same income, lower basis, and higher yield on cost, despite lower cap rate. The answer as to why value-add trades at a lower cap rate than stabilized deals is because buyers are willing to pay a premium for an income stream that they can grow. That's the end of Brian's comments. And like I said, I couldn't improve on his reply. Note that his wisdom was generated through experience over decades of hard work. Final thoughts. Does this make sense? 
So next time you hear someone say, deal A is better than deal B because of the cap rate, don't just automatically agree. Ask more questions. Get under the hood. And don't forget to pick up Brian's BP book, The Hands-Off Investor. While you're waiting for it to arrive, you can find another brilliant post on cap rate myths from Brian at biggerpockets.com. Happy investing! I hope you enjoyed the show today. Remember, connecting with real estate investors in your market is one of the most valuable uses of your time. Visit biggerpockets.com events to find a meetup near you. See you tomorrow.